Choir, you can be seated this time. It's good to see all of you. And uh, uh, before we begin, I, is it all right? We just have a prayer. All right, all right. He says, yeah, yeah, no, no, don't pray, don't pray. <laughs> that was a crazy question, wasn't it? Let's have a prayer together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship. This morning and tonight, Father, I'm looking forward to what you're going to speak to us tonight. Use all of us this week, Father, as we are truly who you want us to be out and about as we network with our friends. Let, this, let them see you through us this week, that they'll want to know more of who you are. Thank you again for the opportunity to be with Pastor Jack tonight, and we're going to thank you for what you do through him. Now use us, use this time, it's yours, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Amen, thank you, thank you. I'm going to be a little informal, if that's okay, I'm a little closer to y'all tonight. Sit down here, keep you awake a little bit, Miss Dorothy, make sure you're behaving back there. Hey, it's great to see If you have your Bible, uh, the next several weeks with our Hot Topic series, we are going to be flipping around in God's Word a lot, and uh, so I encourage you to bring your, your Bible um, or your Bible app. I know you Utes like the Bible apps, which is good. That's fine. I like it too, but, um, and it's okay, all right, to have a Bible app and to have technology but I am old school, and I do actually like to hold a physical Bible. That's just me. That's just, if you got your device, it's all right. It's all right. Okay, okay. Only thing is, if your device powers off, you're in trouble. This don't ever power down right here. It's, just, it's on already. It's on. So, I, I, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we're, we're, we're informal tonight. There's a movie. Uh, I'm not endorsing this movie uh, because it, it's, it is rated R and it's pretty gory. And I'm not sure how I wound up at the theater watching it. Uh, Denzel Washington is the actor in it, and I'm a Denzel Washington fan. Uh, but it's called The Book of Eli. And if you can ever s- just stay seated through the gore of the movie and get to the end... I was weeping at the end of the movie because it's just about all the copies of God's Word being off the planet. And then you get to the end, and I won't blow it for you, but the end, uh, it's all in his, he's memorized the whole thing. So anyway, I, I'm all for having, all that to say, I'm all for having a book. So, so tonight we're going to talk about myths, M-Y-T-H-S, myths uh, that we say a lot in church uh, phrases that we might say that sound really spiritual, but they're not in God's Word. And we're probably going to have time to maybe look at two, maybe three. Um, and if you have some, you know, when we wrap up tonight, if you, oh, you forgot this, and just give them to me, and we'll just go over those over the next, you know, 52 weeks. We'll work them in somehow. Maybe I'll throw out a little nugget on Sunday morning and just see if anybody's eyes perk up to to know that that's not really what God's Word says. You know, it's interesting. I want to start in Genesis 3 tonight because um, some of the myths that we say, and maybe you've even heard, and some of them I'm going to share with you tonight, I heard my grandmother say, and she was a very godly lady, even though some of these things that she said aren't, weren't biblical. Um, they come from not really understanding what the Bible says or what the Bible doesn't say. 
And so if you wanted to put another title on tonight besides, besides myths that we believe, it would be maybe, did God really say that? And to understand how we sometimes create myths, we have to kind of go back to the beginning. Because it's kind of what happened with Adam and Eve in, in the book of Genesis. Because they took something that God said and they twisted it and contorted it. And uh, that's usually where we get off track with, with myths. Sometimes even in our traditions or things that we think, they start out maybe sometimes Bible-based and somehow we kind of get away from uh, what the Bible really says. So let's look at it together. The first question actually recorded in the Bible was asked by the devil, the serpent. Actually, asked the first qu question ever recorded in the Bible. And it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So let's look at it together. And you guys know me by now. I'll stop along the way as we go. But verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So let's stop right there. Is that what God said? Did God really say that? No, that's not what God said. So already Satan is twisting it around. And that's not really the question we would expect. We really would expect the, the serpent to ask, did God really say you must not eat from one particular tree? But instead, he asks, did God not say, uh, or indeed God has said you shall not eat from any tree? tree so reading that it makes us sound like you know really the devil's not really smart because that's not what did he did he have memory loss did he not really know what what God had said no he's very conniving and so he's twisting what uh, God told Adam and Eve and uh, he's shrewd and cunning but the devil's not stupid Shrewd and cunning. So did he get it wrong on purpose or was he twisting God's word as a strategy to go against Eve? Well, we know the answer to that. That was his strategy. It was a strategy not just in the Garden of Eden, but was, it was his strategy when he was with Jesus in the wilderness. Remember, he used the same strategy with Jesus and tried to get Jesus to throw himself off the temple. Mount. the angels will catch you and... and uh, Surely you shall not live by bread alone. He got into this battle with Jesus about God's word. So here's the first kind of way we get off track and we get into to myths. So when Eve answered the serpent, verse 2, she says to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. So when she answered him, she corrected him uh, on the number of trees forbidden. It was not every tree, but only one. But the devil kind of brushed that aside and latched on to her mention of God's warning. Uh, namely, that the very uh, day they ate of the tree, they would surely die. So the serpent continues to contradict God's word. So if you, uh, you'll recall, God had said to Adam, if you want to back up to chapter 2, I think it is, verse 16... Here's what God actually said to Adam. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. 
So Eve is not even called the tree what God called the tree. She just said it's a tree in the middle of the garden. So all that to say, that's kind of how we start to get off track and deceive ourselves and allow the devil to deceive us. And Paul tells us if you want to flip over to the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think it is. Uh, Paul tells us, let me flip over there because I'll read it myself. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be flipping around a little bit tonight, so we'll get your Bible drill, have a little contest and have a little bell for whoever gets there first, or you can pop up and read it. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14, 13, 14, it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, Paul was telling Timothy, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. So what's, what is he saying there? He's going back and reminding us that this myth was slowly uh, moving, had come about from moving away from what God's Word says. James says it this way, every person is tempted and lured when what? When they're enticed by their own desire. So, kind of set up where we're going, there's some... There's some Myths that we believe, much like Adam and Eve, truth that was kind of twisted a little bit. And I want to I just mention two of them. These are the ones that I hear us say a lot in the church. And again, you may have some, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm looking back there at the time. We'll see how far we get here. The first one is this one. This sounds really spiritual, but it's not. The first one is this, God helps those who help themselves. I heard that this morning, actually, in a small group discussion. Uh, and the, the, I know that the heart behind that phrase is to try to get us to have some self-initiative. God helps those who help themselves. Come on, get up, you know, get up and do something, partner with God. And you have to be really careful, because we talked about that this morning, that God, our... our uh, our support and our co-laboring with God in ministry, there is a part for us to do and there's a part for Him to do. So if we're not careful, we can kind of think that, well, God does expect me to do things, and He does. But God doesn't help those who help themselves. Maybe you don't know that where this came from, but it was actually penned by an English politician. There's those politicians who lived in the 1600s. And his name was Algernon Sidney. Some people have tried to attribute that, this saying, to Benjamin Franklin, but it wasn't Benjamin Franklin. Uh, it's uh, 1600s, Algernon Sidney. So why, why is this uh, phrase, why is this a myth, and why is it wrong? We, most of us probably know, but many people hold on to this concept um, because it sounds on the surface like a good idea. Because doesn't it make sense if I'm going to ask God for help, I ought to be willing to kind of help myself. Uh, it's interesting how things can sound or look spiritual and not. I'm reminded of the story in Genesis, I think it's chapter 12, 13, 14 in there, where Abram and Lot were walking and their families had gotten so large that they stood and they looked out at the vast land and Abram said, hey, we got too many of our families and can't survive on this plot of land, so Lot, I'll give you first choice. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Actually, it's chapter 13, verse 8, I think. It says that Lot looked and things looked like 
milk and honey, basically. And he made his decision by the way things looked. And we know eventually that actually the land that he chose eventually led him to Sodom and Gomorrah. So the devil has a great way of making us hear certain things and they sound spiritual or things look spiritual, but they may or may not be really spiritual. So here's the reality. A lot of folks, maybe even some in our church, I hope not. I I remember as a child, I used to think this was true. God helps those who help themselves. And I used to think that I had to, uh, in my power, get myself cleaned up before I could come to Christ. Because God helps those who help themselves. So, okay, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to stop this sin and stop this sin and try to do everything I can in my own power. Then I'll come to Jesus. Well, that is not what the Bible teaches. It's totally the opposite from what the Bible teaches. What, what I couldn't do is help myself. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because I can do nothing to help myself. So the beauty of how God works in our lives is He doesn't require us to clean anything up. Now, for some of us, that may scare us. Because we think, well, we want people to you know, look a little bit nice or decent when they come to Jesus. Or try to get their act together. And yet, the truth is, uh, we can't do that. That's, salvation doesn't work that way. Our walk with Christ doesn't work that way. The reality is God uh, doesn't, uh, it isn't, the reality isn't that God helps those who help themselves, but God helps those who can't help themselves. When we give up and we surrender, that's when God goes, okay, you're ready for my help. I don't know if you've heard this story. I, I heard this growing up. I don't know if this is, Great analogy or not, I can't remember the author who wrote it, but a guy's standing on the creek bank with his friend, and they're watching, and one of his buddies is out there swimming and thinks he can swim, and all of a sudden he goes down and he's flailing about, and one of his friends can't swim, but he knows this, this guy can swim, and he's just standing there, and he's like, man, go, j- jump in there, jump in there, go, go save him. And he's just like not doing anything and he's waiting. And finally his friend just gives up and goes under the water. At that moment, this guy jumps off the shoreline, goes in the water, r- grabs him around the neck, pulls him to the side, brings him back in, saves him. And his friend's like, what in the world? What were you d- doing? Why didn't you, why didn't you jump in there and save him earlier? And he goes, I couldn't save him until he quit trying himself. Because he would have taken me under. Those of you who swim know that. Now, don't take the analogy too far. You can't take God under the water and drown him. But that's very, very true. Um, God is wanting us to surrender and uh, to give up. So that's, that's one I wanted to share with you. Here's, here's another one. And I've heard pastors say this one. And uh, Christian counselors say this one. This one sounds a little more like truth. But it's not. God won't give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Many believers claim God won't give you more than you can handle. Let me just tell you. Me being here is more than I can handle. Trust me. So if you got your Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think this is where we come up with this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle, which is somewhat true in this context that we're going to look at with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
the mistake that we've made is we have kind of tried to apply this thinking all the way across the line. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We, we apply it to this uh, scripture. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure under it. So many people teaching that God won't give you more than you can handle. Try to explain, okay, well in this temptation, temptation here is not just talking about uh, sin or a trial or something like that. But it's talking about any type of, of suffering. And the Greek word actually used here in this, in this verse about temptation can be used actually of suffering and of sin. But if you, if you study it, it's, it's showing testing and trials and all those things as a possible way that the word can be translated. So how does that fit with the Bible not giving more, you more than you can handle? How does that match up with what? That common phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. In, in temptation, the Bible tells us in that verse, there is a promise there that there is a way out from temptation. So let's just talk about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but that's, that hurts to admit that. Because that means then that any temptation that I surrender to, I did not take the exit ramp that God gave me to avoid that temptation. Which also means then that any time I sin, it is a free choice that I made. And I think the Bible teaches that. And the heart is wicked. And there's this battle going on inside of us to choose between right and wrong. So as far as temptation, God won't give you more than you can handle... The context there is God will not give you more than you can handle with an exit ramp when it comes to temptation. He will provide a way of escape. But we've tried to kind of apply that to all of life when actually the Bible teaches the opposite in some other situations. For example, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just flip over to the right to Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Because at times, God does give people more than He can handle. Uh, remember the first time I got on an airplane and went out of the country to do a mission trip. Trust me, it was more than I could handle. I didn't want to say yes, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to be there, I didn't want to participate, I didn't want to see people who were worse off than me. I and God was like, you're going, you're going. So we read from Paul's life in 2 Corinthians, uh, let's see here, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, here's what Paul says. Uh, let's see, I think it's verse 8. Here we go, verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively... Beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. So he's saying that was in such a deadly peril that 
what, what could I do? I was burdened beyond my own strength that I had. It was more than I could handle. I think it was Corey Ten Boom, one of the great missionaries that we Southern Baptists know about or should know about, who when she came back from the mission field, somebody asked her a question in an interview. They said, how in the world did you do it? How did you stay over there and do missions so long? And, you know, you lost loved ones back home and you missed celebrating weddings of relatives and you missed funerals of people who passed on. And didn't you get tired? Didn't you get worn out? Didn't you run out of strength? She said, I never used any of my own. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because she ran out of hers real early. So she had to depend on, uh, depend on the Lord's strength. So the fact is, God does give us many times more than we can handle. And the reason He gives us more than we can handle, you might be in one of those situations tonight where you have more than you can handle, is because it pushes us to be dependent on Him. Because He can handle it. We can't handle it. So I want to maybe suggest that we use a different passage of Scripture uh, to be our go-to text if you're in a time of suffering. Uh, let's see here. And it's on over in Paul's, in this same letter, in chapter 12. Chapter 12, Paul's talking about this. And this is probably a better passage to lean on when it comes to thinking about suffering. And does God give you more than you can handle? Let's just pick up at verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. So there's proof in... Paul's life, the majority author of the New Testament, to say, God gave me a whole lot more than I could handle. And I had to depend on Him. So, I have to believe then, from what we read about Paul, that when uh, things come in my life that are more than I can handle, God will give me the grace, as He did Paul, to overcome those things. And to be able to face every situation. What, what, what greater encouragement could I get when I'm going through suffering or some challenge where it's more than I can handle? What greater encouragement can I have to know that grace, God's grace is sufficient for me? It's going to get me through. So some people would ask the question. Here's another kind of spinoff from that. Did God really say suffering is a part of the Christian life? Why would God save you and I from sin and then turn around and let you go through hardship and pain? Shouldn't life be easy when you follow Jesus? Why would God make someone a way that they don't want to be? That's a popular question in culture right now. 
All that goes against Scripture and asks the wrong question. All that goes back to this myth that God won't give you more than you can handle. And really, God, God has given us grace to be sufficient even when we go through, uh, go through suffering. So there are a lot of, uh, I like to call them counterfeit gospels that are going out there. And some of those are all rooted in some of these myths that we're talking about. Here, here's just real quick, just a, a few others that I wrote down. We won't have time to get to all these tonight. But these are questions that people are asking, wondering if they're myths or not. And what we have to do is go to God's Word and show people, okay, what, what does God's Word say? Here's, here's one. Is, did God really say hell is real? How could God, a loving God, send people to burn in fire forever just because they didn't believe the right thing? That doesn't really sound too loving to me. I've heard people say that. And they think that's a myth. That's not a myth. That's the truth of God's Word, except for there's a little bit, again, a spin on the words. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You choose that path because he gives us a free choice. So see, all those little things have a nuance of truth to it. And when you're talking to people, you kind of have to listen closely because they'll use some things that sound truth and some not. Some people ask this question, did God really say Jesus is the only way to heaven? Seems pretty exclusive. What about these good people that are Hindus and Buddhists and... Muslims, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So we have to be really observant of what culture will tell us. Here's another one. God, did God really say we have to blindly obey Him? Doesn't that mean we're like pawns on the chessboard and He just... We have no real say in the matter. God just kind of moves us where he needs to move us. No. God gives us a free choice. God gives us a free choice. Our life is what we make it. Maybe we're smart, we're talented, we're gifted, we can sing. Jim Curtis, sounded good this morning. We've got talents and gifts. And God gives us a free will to be able to apply those things and, and, and use them. Did God really say our sin separates us from Him? That's another one I'm hearing a lot in our culture. Or that sin, I can go out and as long as it's a sin that affects me, that it's okay. That's a false understanding of what the community of Christ is about. Because anything that I do that affects me affects you. Affects each other because we're connected. So... uh, Sin is not just something I do, not just a mistake or a, a mess up, but it separates me from God and causes chaos and confusion, not only my relationship this way, but my relationships this way. So there are a lot of uh, myths. You guys give me some that you're, you're hearing. What are some myths other than uh, other than those couple there, did God really say that? 
Anybody got any that you're hearing? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? That's right. Yep. I'm hearing that, especially now in our culture. And he never really said specifically about homosexuality, but what did we talk about a few weeks ago? What he did say was he pointed all the way back to creation as being the establishment of what real family was and where real sexual identity was. So he, he did talk about it. Didn't maybe use the word homosexual, but see that in the world that we live in, that's how people get their out and think that they are, you know, justified. But the Bible has uh, obviously a truth, the truth for us. What else? What's some other myths you're hearing? Oh, yes. That's right. If I've been good, I'm going to heaven. Sounds good. Makes us feel good. That's not what the Bible says. Matter of fact, if you remember the story, who was it that came to Jesus? The rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be saved? And he said, go out and do all these things and keep the commandments and do this and do this. And he came back to Jesus and said, all those things I've done since I was young... And then Jesus said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that he walked away sorrowful. And I don't think he walked away sorrowful just because he maybe was, he was the rich young ruler. Because he had a lot of things that he would have to sell to obey Jesus. I think part of that is true, but I think he walked away from Jesus because he wasn't willing to do the one thing Jesus told him to do. Which basically was obey me. So, that's right. What else? That's good. The Bible what? The Bible contains the Word of God. That, that is, that's another you. Sounds, sounds right, doesn't it? The Bible is the Word of God. Thank you, that's right. It is the Word of God. If it contains the Word of God, which part is really the Word of God and then which part is not the Word of God? And we live in a culture where we like buffet-style Christianity, where we come by the buffet line and we pick out this verse. Oh, God uh, works all things to the good to those who love the Lord. Amen. I'll take a couple helpings of that. Amen. And we go down the buffet line and the stuff that we like, we take, we want. And then the stuff where it says, don't look upon a, a woman with lust in your heart. And the stuff like that that starts hurting us, so I'm, I'm going to go to the other buffet, side of the buffet. I don't want that. This, it is the Word of God. That's right. Amen. Any, any other ones? Are you stretching? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Yes, sir. One, one that I've heard over the years is uh, the God of the Bible is the same God as Islam. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The God, the God of the Bible, Heath was saying some things he's hearing, or the God of the Bible is the same God of Islam. 
Just kind of a, a myth out there. Yeah. Very true. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. The Bible has been written, kind of gone through so many translations over time. How can we know what's legitimate, what's true, what books are supposed to be in there, what books aren't? So we have to know how to answer those questions. And those are, those are hard questions. And you have, and, and a, lot of, a lot of it, which this is not a cop-out answer, but a lot of it comes down to faith. And we, and we can do our research and go back, and I've had some of that in schooling, and Joey and Heath have had some of that in schooling, where you can go back and you can go back and trace all these in original manuscripts and original language. And I'm, I'm just either naive enough or have enough faith to believe that the God of the universe, if He is really the God of the universe, as all those things have come down through the centuries, the copy that I have is what He wants me to have that I've got. And there's a lot of technical stuff we could get into. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But that, but that's good to to be able to have a answer for those kind of questions that come up, and and to have dialogue with those people. So that tells me we talked a little bit about this this morning. That tells me the Holy Spirit's working on whoever that is. Otherwise, they wouldn't even ask a question or make a comment like that because they're trying to. So keep praying for whoever that whoever that is. Oh me, yeah, yeah. God tempted me, but we just read it. God doesn't tempt any man. We are tempted when we're carried away by our own evil desires. Yeah. Well, that could go. I mean, the, yeah, we've we've heard it. You know. We've heard it in counseling appointments where one spouse says, God told me I need to leave my spouse. Well, you know, you and God need to have an appointment to have a conversation because somebody's not hearing correctly. And I got a feeling it's not God. So, yeah, yeah. Good. What else? All right. Well, I just thought we'd have a little fun tonight and talk about some of those. Again, those, those two for me are the biggie. God... God helps those that help themselves, and God won't give you more than you can handle. And then all the ones that you've heard. So as you hear more, let me know, because I'd love to start putting those in the, the Jackisms book. We'll get a little book printed so that we know what all these myths are out there. But ultimately, ultimately, again, if you get back to the heart of it, we have to realize that one of the greatest strategies of Satan... Most people, we talked about this briefly in our small group this morning, just for maybe two minutes. Most people aren't going to be tempted, especially those of us who know Jesus and are brought up in the church, are not going to be tempted by some blatant thing. Because we're going to go, that's sin, or that's not right, or that's wrong. And so the devil is very cunning and conniving, and he knows that. So he will do exactly what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. He'll give us just enough of the truth for it to sound good. Where we go, huh, where it, even if it makes us stop for a second and go, hmm, did God really say that or is that really true? 
And sometimes, maybe it's just me in my life, I'll be transparent with you as you know, sometimes that pause is just enough to get me to think and go in the wrong direction. And if the devil can get us, just give us something that sounds really truthful, but there's just enough spin in there to make us stop, then we can be, uh, we can be lured away. Awesome. Any? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes, that's right. Your sin will find you out. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, just to give you a, a rundown of the next few weeks, and you'll see them on your, your handout. Next week, we're going to be talking about, are you really poor? I'll give you a quick little, quick little another myth that some of us believe because we don't make whatever the average wages in our area that we're poor. So I'll give you a little teaser for next week. If you and your family... Your household income is $15,000 or more. Most of us would say that's poverty level. But if your income, household income, is $15,000 or more a year, you're in the top 5% of wealth on the planet. So who's poor? Pastor Jim's been seeing some poor people in the mountains of West Virginia. We know poor people in the Dominican Republic. There's poor people right down the street down here. So we're going to talk about that next week. And then uh, on the 25th, we're going to talk about pro-life. Pro-life is more than just being against abortion. And uh, we're going to have a guest from Piedmont Women's Center is going to come be on a panel with us. So just to give you a heads up. Uh, and then uh, some of you have asked... You're excited about some of these in May. Y'all better pray for me, because I'm the one that's got to research and study all this. So May the 2nd, to drink or not to drink? That is the question. May 16th, be careful little eyes protecting our mind and heart. We're going to talk about uh, pornography, which is rampant in the world and in the church. May 23rd. We'll also have a panel discussion from some mental health experts that are going to be coming. And we're going to talk about, especially coming out of uh, COVID and quarantine, how do we deal with loneliness and anxiety. So uh, if you know anybody who needs the truth of God's Word in any of those areas, that's why we're doing these topics, not just to have another service. Uh, invite, invite, uh, invite, okay? Before we pray, just a couple of quick things. If you're interested, uh, speaking of Pastor Jim in West Virginia, I know a group of folks met with him tonight. If you're interested in going uh, to help with that this summer, please uh, reach out to him and let him know. I know we have our men's breakfast, women's lunch. You guys like to eat, don't you? I do too. Uh, we have our golf tournament coming up. So if you're interested in that, see Heath and get, get signed up for that. And uh, don't forget uh, Wednesday... I know this past Wednesday uh, we were, felt like we were kind of in Easter mode, but this past this coming Wednesday we'll be back uh, with our 11 a.m. Bible study with Pastor Jim. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So Lewis is going to help with 
uh, Bible school uh, sign-ups if you're interested in West Virginia. Other and the sign-up. <laughs> You've already we signed you up. We signed you up. <laughs> yes, we, we need and we need to know if you're interested in going. Also, uh, thank you. Some folks brought food already for the next six weeks or so. We're going to be taking up food, non-perishable foods, to uh, take to West Virginia. So uh, clean out your pantry. Go buy some fresh stuff at the grocery store. When you go to the grocery store, get an extra box or two or three or four. And, uh, and we'll take them up to West Virginia soon. We'll give you updates on, on that. All right? Yes, don't bring anything you wouldn't eat. Don't be like my mom and dad when I bought my first townhouse, sent me out with beanie weenies that had the date 1968 stamped on there. <laughs> Take that to your townhouse. We don't want it. No, no. Couldn't even get my dog to eat that stuff. Yeah, good point. Good. Bring some stuff that you would eat yourself in your own house. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Anything I'm forgetting? So good to see y'all. To laugh with you and uh, thankful for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we have your word, that it is the word of God, living and active. And Lord, I thank you that uh, with all the myths that we hear, if we ever wonder what's the truth, we don't really have to wonder. We can just pick up a copy of your word and find out what you say. Because we have the, the truth with us, the truth of your word, the truth of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these friends in this place. Again, Lord God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just confess that we're dependent on you. I pray for these friends. I pray for myself today that this week you would... I pray for each one of us that you would, uh, Lord, would you, would you bring across our path this week one person, just one person, that we can share Jesus with, whether it's in words or action, that we can plant a seed, we can be another conversation in their step to learning more about you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Good to see you. Have a good night.